Hi, everybody. It is the Tulsa World Opinion Section. I am Jenny Graham, the editorials editor of the Tulsa World Opinion Section. I am Bobby Sutton, editorial writer and columnist. Welcome to our video. And you can also get this on podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple. I think that's it. So um, it's Thursday, so we're not quite at the end of the week, but we've had a pretty busy week so far. So mm -hmm. the legislature had to get everything off the floor this week. So there's been a bunch of activities there. I got a little uh, drawn into watching the hearings of the Supreme Court nominee. So that took up a few hours and, and things happening. But, um, you know, I thought maybe we should just start with the biggest news of today, at least, which is the private school voucher bill. Yeah. It, 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 they held that Op that vote opened so long. It was for Senate Bill 1647 from Senate President Pro Tem Greg Treat, which would have given basically vouchers worth between 3,600 to 4,200 to private school kids for their position. So they held the vote open for a long time yesterday in the Senate to the point where it didn't make our deadline for the paper this morning. So online, I read that it did not pass. 22-24, it would have needed 26 votes to have passed and then got on to the House. So, uh, you know, we've been on the record that this was a bad, bad bill to begin with for, for a lot of reasons. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, good job for those senators that, you know, the ones that, and I would encourage people, you know, go online and find out how your senator voted. Um, mm -hmm. This just, this was one of those bills that got a lot of outside attention. Did you notice that, Bob? I did. I did. It, uh, it seemed like there's um, a lot of push from, let's say, uh, from outside of uh, normal circles, maybe. Yeah, it definitely had national yeah. national attention. I mean, some even mm -hmm. when you go online and you see people sort of mixing it up, when you start looking at where some of those supporters came from, they weren't from here. They weren't from yeah. Oklahoma. And, you know, a lot was being written. And I, I in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that we're – kind of a testing ground yes. because while a lot of states have various voucher school choice um, programs, that I don't know of any that are just no strings attached, you know, everyone, you know, no oversight, everything's open. And I, you know, this would have been sort of that first one because the aspect about this is there was no oversight of the money, of the academic um, quality, yeah, it's a free for all. Yeah, and so we would have been maybe the first state to do that, and that would have put mm -hmm. brought national attention. So you know, when you're trying to get national attention, sometimes you lose sight of what's really good for Oklahoma, and and so I'm really glad that the the rural areas recognized that it of of all people would have harmed them most. So yeah, it, it makes the pie smaller because I mean that's that's the thing that I don't know if people if the proponents of this ever really addressed it, but it's one of those things, if you have, you know, 10,000 parents say, okay, well, we're going to send our kids to private schools. Give me that voucher, please. Pete, give me that voucher for pretty, pretty, please. You know, that money is going to something from something. Well, and it would have and, gone to existing mm, private school kids too. So yes. um, yeah. now Greg Treat did amend it to yesterday, to, he said that he would amend it to add 128 million to help offset that. And he was pretty confident that they wouldn't need all that. But 
but that brings up now that doesn't mean he would have gotten that because the budget process is behind closed doors and unknown. So, you know, this first half of the legislature is all about let's pass all this stuff and then we'll have a group of people behind closed doors figure out how to, what to fund and how. Maybe things mm. will get funded, maybe it won't. And then they come out right before the session's over and tell us it's a bad process. Yeah. But my thinking is, well, we can find 128.5 million for private schools. We ought to be able to find that for public schools. Because right now, looking at our per pupil expenditure, we're at 46 in the nation. Mm -hmm. We're doing a little better on teacher pay. We're like 35th in starting pay and maybe 36th or 37th in average. But the per pupil expenditure is what reflects that classroom. So um, bottom line is this bill wasn't going to help public schools. Yeah, and that is something that they are constitutionally mandated to do is to provide a free public education to Oklahoma's children. And I don't understand where that's been lost or muddied or anything like that, but, you know, that's where they are right now. And I, I don't really know what they were trying to accomplish with this outside of trying to make a subset of parents happy. I don't know. Well, session's not over. Nothing's yeah. ever dead. And there's always next year. So, so that'll mm -hmm. come up again. The other thing that caught our attention are, is this, I think Randy Crable, our reporter, called it a cavalcade of tax cutting measures, reductions. I mean, I think I was adding up yesterday. I mean, we're looking at over half a billion dollars in tax cuts. I mean, maybe, Bob, you think, I mean, it all happened in the last couple of days. So have you kept yeah. up with it? I mean, everything, we're cutting everything from, or proposed, passed mm -hmm. on corporate income tax, personal income tax, groceries. Um, Veterans benefits. I mean, we're, we're, and I'm concerned about that. I know that you are too. You've written about this before. So yeah. what's your take on all of this right now? It is almost as if we never learn from our past mistakes. And we saw a rat, not just in Oklahoma, but a rash of states do very similar things to what we're looking at doing again right now, where you pass all these tax cuts during the good times. And then when things get a little bit rough, you don't just pay for it like you normally would and get punished for it. You get, it gets turbocharged. It gets much worse than it would have been because the tax base that you could draw on in the bad times to keep public services up and going is gone. And with state question 640 still on the books now for 30 years, trying to offset that is next to impossible. They did it after the teacher strike. But it took a teacher, a two-week teacher walkout to do it. Yes, it took a huge effort and a ton of pressure that they haven't seen in almost three decades to get that done. So we know how difficult it is to get that back if you realize, oh my gosh, we've made a tremendous error. So we're staring that in the face right now. We've got a budget that is bloated with federal money. Yeah, it's bloated by prices energy prices. Yep. Mm -hmm. If that should ever come down, if our economy, national and statewide, take a turn for the worse, you're looking at revenue failures again. You're looking at having to lay off state workers. You're having to look, work, lay off highway patrol troopers, having to lay off teachers, social workers that are looking after at-risk kids. 
that's what we're looking at when you do this kind of stuff. And for what? Most of these tax cuts that they're talking about here for people like you and me is a couple of tanks of gas a year. Yeah, it's, we were just here five years ago, you know, with, with all of this. And, and I think we have forgotten all of, all of how our boom times have a bust and everything's great now, but we're not planning for that future. And, and for me, the, the conservative way of doing budgets is, okay, we're going to take X amount of revenue. The question is, how do you make that up? But that's not being addressed. The conservative approach would be to wait to have now, now Charles McCall's grocery tax proposal puts a two year, um, tries out for two years and then they can make it permanent. Okay, in a way you can pass it once and pass it again, but if it doesn't, if that tax is not, doesn't have the effect we want, then we can say, you know what? We were better off having it. Although that's a regressive tax. Some of these others yeah. aren't. And so interestingly, Democrats for years wanted that grocery tax lifted, um, but the Republicans have sort of run with it now. Mm-hmm. But to me, this is not a conservative approach to how you do a budget. And I think it was Senator Montgomery, I believe, who said, and, and it was asked on the floor, how are you going to you know, recoup this? And he said, well, the budget negotiations are going on and, and we'll see how that pans out. Yeah. So, so either they don't know, they don't have a plan for either reducing services or recouping that somewhere else, or they're not being transparent with what's going on with the budget negotiations, which is really it's probably both. We've done the budget here. I mean, it's, yeah, it's probably both, and I think it should be noted too that our tax burden is ranked the tenth lowest, or something like that, in the country. Our tax burden in Oklahoma is not heavy, so this is a time where if you've got a little bit of extra money coming in and a lot of pressing chronic needs maybe we start looking at solving these things. You don't have to bust the bank doing it. You don't have to spend a billion dollar increase to go take care of problem A or problem B. But maybe this is a time we invest in things. So where, say a big company wants to come here and relocate and they're looking at our education system, they say, oh yeah, those Oklahoma public schools are doing pretty good. Instead, what they're seeing right now is, wow, people are quitting in droves. They're having classes with 30 or 40 kids in them and you know it doesn't seem like these people care so what's my workforce going to look like that stuff matters it's our infrastructure education is our infrastructure and in order to fund what we want public services whether it's highway patrol schools or mental health services we have to pay for it and i'm not seeing any of these tax measures how we're going to continue paying for those so um we have, so we kind of move into this next phase of the legislature next. But one of the things I noticed this morning, and you got to kind of bear with me here, okay. um, it's, it's, it's a bill I didn't see coming, but we've had a slew of, of abortion bills, anti-abortion bills, which was, we've not commented on it because it's not surprising. Um, it hinges on the Supreme Court, you know, overturning Roe, which would allow states to go state to state. And so if we ban it in Oklahoma, it'll unleash other problems. But I noticed this morning, there's now a bill that passed out of 
gosh, I don't know, it was the, the state or the, or the, the, uh, the Senate, Senate Bill 1225, which would require, like right now, if you're a teenage, teenage girl and you want birth control, you can go to a federal, federally funded health clinic or local health clinic and they can provide you birth control. They want to ban that, that if you are under 18, you have to have parental permission. And while that sounds good, and yes, parents should be involved in healthcare decisions, I absolutely agree. I have a teen, two teenagers, one boy, one girl. But the reality is there are a lot of teenagers out there who aren't going to go to their, kid, their parent. And if we cannot bring down abortion without providing access to birth control and information, Oklahoma, while we have... Um, reduced teen pregnancies and unwanted pregnancies quite a bit. We're still near the top of the nation. We've always been near the top of the nation for decades. When abortion started to go down, it was in direct correlation to access programs becoming bigger. I mean, I've written on this extensively. There is a direct correlation between access and abortions going down. So if our goal is to reduce abortions, we have to allow birth control. And what really gets me about this is this is all about, you know, sex. Boys are not mentioned. Boys can go out and buy condoms without parental permission, but a girl who is wanting to do the smart thing and take control and not get pregnant, she doesn't have the right to do that unless she has parent permission. And that parent could be abusive, neglectful, not in the picture, don't get along. There are, everyone's thinking this is an Aussie and Harriet situation. It's not. So I'm sorry, I had to rant, but I just want lawmakers to realize their situation with their kids is not like others. And I don't want abortion either, but I also think birth control is the way to bring that down. So there. Can't argue that. Anything to add? <laughs> so, um, well, I look at it as a women's right. issue. It's just, just what exactly what you were saying is that if, uh, you know, what you're saying is correct. I mean, if we provide the tools necessary to prevent unwanted pregnancies, there the demand for abortion goes down. It just makes sense. Um, but there's been an unwillingness to do this. I think we live in some circles. There's sort of a Pollyannish view that we can convince young people and by young people, it's not just junior high kids and high school kids, but also college age kids, that if they would just abstain, everything will be fine. And the real world tells us that that's not going no. to pan it out. It's not worked. Like it's not worked it forever. People are going to do what they want to do sometimes, sometimes make impulsive decisions. And then you have criminal acts that lead to unwanted pregnancies, unplanned pregnancies, whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, yeah, well, let's, let's, let's help some gals out here. Okay. It's, it, I mean, it, and I've always kind of thought, you know, there's all this attention on abortion, not on prevention. And now that they've tackled abortion, they're going after prevention. And I'm like, this is not the road we need to go on. So, so I'll move on. Had my say, it just got me, you know. So, but you know, in previewing uh, this weekend a little bit, you know, our columns, you are taking on the, and it's funny, my mom asked me this question What does woke mean? Because she'd never heard it before. 
I didn't know how to answer it. I mean, you know, I just feel like it's a manufactured thing, but you actually tackled it. You found the history of wokeness. Why did did you do that? All right. So this is going to be a two-part answer. Um, Don't give everything away. We want people to read. Yes. I'm not going to give anything away, but one of the reasons why is I saw, I've seen it come up uh, from elected officials and wannabe elected officials talking about how they don't want our schools to go woke. And I just have a feeling that I'm not sure people understand what it means. And like you and like a lot of people, I don't know if I had a true understanding what it means. So I took a dive into it and found out where it comes from and all that stuff. So I sort of laid it out, you know, what is wokeness, all that kind of stuff. So we'll actually know what we're talking about here. No, it's not just a punchline in a political campaign, but more of, okay, this is what they're talking about. It's older than what people think. That's what I found interesting. Decades, decades old, like predates Martin Luther King. So Hmm. we'll get into that in a little bit. Second part of why I want to talk about this is the reason why I've been writing a lot of things that I've been writing about is we have an issue here. I'm sorry if this gets a little spicy, but that's just the way it is. This whole anti-woke thing is like the election year equivalent of the war on Christmas. Okay? I miss the war on Christmas. It was so quaint. These kinds of things seem to pop up where we decide... I I just imagine somewhere on K Street, there's a bunch of lobbyists and activists in there trying to figure out what issue can we get people fired up about enough that it will help drive people to the polls and help us win. And I guess right now it's a it's like a neck and neck race between CRT and wokeness. And they're kind of all in a rat, you know, they're wrapped up in each other a little bit. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it because we have real issues we need to tackle here in the state of Oklahoma. I've seen this come up in our schools, you know, from a statewide candidate talking about it, uh, Ryan Walters, all the way down to questions that were asked at a school board candidate forum this week, wokeness. And I'm just thinking in my head, guys, what are we doing here? Yeah, we've got a teacher shortage here. So, yeah, yeah, we've got a teacher shortage right now where we're having to certify people who are not qualified to the tune of thousands. We have classrooms with 30 or 40 kids in them. We've got rural schools that might close if they can't find enough people to teach. What does that do to that those communities where these schools are located? It destroys them. We've got onerous regulations passed down by the legislature on teachers that's making it more and more difficult to do the job. So they're retiring, they're quitting the profession, they're moving to other states, and the pipeline to refill these things, it's not, it's not there right now. We're on the verge of breaking our schools, and it's almost like we're doing it for fun. Well, and that's, but those get overshadowed by the national talking points that that come down to us. You know, forget the national talking points. What's happening here? What's happening in our schools right here, whether it's here in Tulsa or 
you know, out in the rural parts of the state. Why can't we get back to the job of actually solving issues that matter? Your little Johnny and little Jenny are not going to crawl up in a hole and cry because they learn about why the civil rights movement had to take place. They're not going to suffer lifelong trauma when they hear about the Trail of Tears. It's going to make them sad. It's going to make them think. And it's going to make them possibly say, hey, maybe when it's my turn, we can do better than this. What's wrong with that? Why is this now this woke thing? Why are we on this topic? I mean, well, well and you know, what's ugh. yeah, well, what's interesting is it kind of plays into what I wrote about, which is we were talking about this at the editorial board meeting and it gave me the idea for the column, which is, is this the end of public debates and public forums? Because yeah. we have um, Langford is not has said he's not going to debate his opponent. He doesn't want to give his opponent free airtime. And he didn't want to be a sideshow. Now, Jim Minhoff didn't debate Abby Broyles last time, and it didn't hurt him at all. Um, I doubt Langford not debating him will hurt him at all. Both of those have, they do have track records. They do have elections to go on. But we're now seeing um, there are two candidates, one in Jinx and one at Union, that will not appear in public forums. They uh, say those forums are biased. They don't like the group hosting it, the moderator chosen, the questions that might be asked. And so one candidate actually told people to make to make an appointment to come to her house and she'll answer questions. And people are like, this is not, and I'm trying to tell people, this is not normal. This is not what we should do. Um, this also comes through, uh, in January, the Republican National Committee sent a, a letter to the Presidential uh, Commission on Debates. I forget the exact title of them, uh, saying that they aren't going to allow their candidate to participate in the presidential and vice presidential debates unless certain things change. They're also claiming bias in the moderator and the questions and the format. But what's interesting about that is the candidates agree to the format and the moderators. Um, mm -hmm. What the, the commission has <clears throat> typically gone directly to the candidates and not the party, which is, I think, probably the problem there. They just want more power. But what is going to happen if we don't have, if we allow candidates to not, if it can, becomes normal, they don't have to debate, they don't have to be in public forums. What we're going to have is what I think is equivalent of just propaganda. Because then what you have are very meticulously curated images of what the candidates want you to see. They will have prepared talking points. If the thing about forums and debates, what I love is you get to see how people think on their feet. You get to see yep. how are they nice? Are they mean? If things do become a sideshow, let's see how that unfolds. You know, if a candidate goes off the rails and acts like a fool, fine. Let's see that. So I kind of think that there's this change of wanting to go to this real manufactured persona. And I, and I think voters, as voters, it's not, it, it hurts our education of who the candidates are. And it's just not good governance. You're not going to get the best people if we don't see our candidates in action. And so I, you know, it's just something I didn't think about much and like, yeah, if we don't have the, if we take away our expectation that people will interact with the public and with each other before election, they're gonna act the same when they get power. They're not gonna yeah. care. I mean. Yeah, yeah, and 
that's the thing is when once you get elected to office, especially at the local level, you can't hide anymore. And let's I want let's call this for what it is, okay? If you're refusing to participate in a forum <laughs> by an organization like a, a parent-teacher organization, what's what, what are you doing there? You're hiding. You're hiding. You're ducking people. And not it's not that you're ducking. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad enough that, you know, we're having a hard time getting some of these candidates to talk to us like our reporters and stuff. But now you're ducking your potential constituents. You're, you're ducking who, students and, yes, and their parents. and The people who will vote for you, the people who you will swear an oath to serve, you're ducking them. Right. They and don't it, know who you are. And it doesn't get any easier when you get elected because then you can't duck them anymore. You got to show up. You got to take questions. You got to take calls and emails and stuff like that. You know, you can't hide forever. Right. So it's good practice to meet people and listen to them and find out what this whole gig is all about by well, actually yeah. showing up. Right. And I think also by not meeting your opponents, it makes it so much easier to demonize the other. If you don't meet people who disagree with you and find out they're real mm -hmm. people, it just makes it easier to declare them evil. And I don't, and that's just not, this has been corrosive, you know? So, um, so that, that's kind of a preview to it, to a little bit of this weekend. Yeah. Um, I did watch the Supreme court hearing and I won't get into it because it's a lot, mm -hmm. but when Ted Cruz, God bless him, started, um, getting on, uh, the 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 judge for a, a a law school paper he called it a note I'm not an attorney I'm assuming note is paper I just started thinking of all the college papers I wrote and I'm thinking that's where we're at with Supreme Court nominees is we're finding their college papers and raking them over the coals <laughs> and so I yeah I, I actually did write a paper and this I'm just admitting now I took the doors writers on the storm totally bagged on it. And I used it to somehow link it to baby boomers ruining the world. <laughs> so I'm, I was a little obnoxious as a college student. So I have a feeling that alone, I'm not qualified for anything. I will be confirmed to nothing because I, because of that paper. Yeah. You, I mean, think of yourself in college. Do you want to be held responsible <laughs> for, for the 20 year old Bob Doucette? Yeah, that'd like be 20 a 20 year old Jenny Netherton. Was that'd be a no. That'd be a I no. am not annoyed now in times, but still. Can we, just, can we just say something regarding Ted Cruz? Ugh. He's the legislative, he's, he's the legislative equivalent of an internet troll. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's he's, at one point. What has he done? He was, oh my God. At one point, I mean, he's just, it's a train wreck, but he's, he, he was railing on something. Instead of looking at her, he looked over at the press pool. Like he's clearly not there for her. He's there to make points and yeah. he's going to make points with a bait. I don't know. I don't know. I love you, Texas, but you know, it's on. one of those things with him. Um, his greatest achievement in all of his time in the U S Senate was engineering a government shutdown. If that's your achievement, then that ain't much. And he hasn't done hardly anything since outside of running away to Cancun when things got too chilly in Texas. Yeah. So, I'm thinking with with Ted, good old shutdown Teddy. He's he uh, he's scared of ice. And I also liked how he said he found books in her 
daughter's school that he didn't like because it talked about race. And at one point he was talking about a book about racist babies or our babies racist. It was just, I cannot wait for Saturday Night Live. So I'll just leave it at that. All right, It'll then. be fun. Um, you know, to end this, one of my favorite stories, it was in today's paper and I love this, um, this program. There's a film program at Jinx High School and a teacher, Clifton Raphael, who's fabulous. He's one of the best teachers in the state. He has led this class for years. And years ago, he started having his students enter the C-SPAN documentary contest. And he's, every year, these kids place. They're teams of two or three kids. And they dive into some subject and they end up win winning or, or, or uh, placing in this national contest. And I'll, I'll mention their names because they should get credit. Uh, Jinx Jr., Sophia Smith, Lauren Cargill and Jacob Shattuck took second. And this is, this is what gets me. And these kids are so much smarter than I ever was. They got their idea to do this documentary on cybersecurity because they watched a TED talk on quantum computing. Hmm. Now, when I was a junior in high school, I was watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the original version. So <laughs> they're smarter and they're awesome. And this is what public schools ought to be. You know, these are bright kids with a great teacher and we just need to help Mr. Raphael make that better. And, and that's just, I just love that. This is awesome. What were you doing as a junior? Were you uh, studying quantum computing? Oh, that'd be a no. I don't think I was studying anything close to that thing. There's a, there's a dude who works at the, the gym I go to He's a college kid. He's studying mechanical engineering. And I just told him, so how does it feel every day when you walk into work that you're the smartest guy in the room? I know. So I just, I how was like, feel? yeah, let's say that those kids, um, I was, I, I wish, I wish I had done what they did, but you know, I'll leave this out in the end. So, so anyway, um, I'm sure there will be more next week. There's a Absolutely. lot going on. Anything you want to add, Bob Doucette? Um, yay for, uh, for lawmakers so far pushing through reforms to cut some of the fees that, uh, uh, convicted offenders have to pay so they can get back on their feet. Good job. Good governance as the support of the governor. It looks like we're still moving ahead with criminal justice reform. Boo on not passing openness, open records and open meetings for the legislature. Um, we're one of four states that keeps it secret and bad. You guys, come on, do better. Yeah, I don't think people realize that our legislature exempts themselves from the yep. Open Records, is the Open Records Act or the Open Records And Open Meeting. And Open Both. Meetings Act. Yep. So all the other state agencies have to comply. And we're only one of, is it four states that have that exemption? Four. One four. of four. Everybody else, I mean, they've said in the past, well, you know, we can do stuff behind closed doors. We can get it done more efficiently. It's like, well, 46 other states do it openly and they still manage to pass laws. So, no, that doesn't hold. Yeah. Good point on the uh, criminal justice. So, anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next week. And please write a letter to the editor. And I will say, and I'll remind people that there's a school board election coming up. And we do run letters about, you know, People who wanting to, to push a candidate or endorse a candidate, we run those letters. The last day will be Friday. So get those in if you want or anything you want to write us. Anyway, thank you.
Till next week. See you later.